me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It was very important to Jesus that we be one, that we be together, that we be in unity, that we walk together with purpose. And last week I just talked about how we are God's workmanship and about how God has prepared good works for us to do in advance. And so he's called us to a life of service, but he's also called us together to make known the manifold wisdom of God, which I think is mind-blowing at the end of the day. To make known the manifold wisdom of God. And all of that centers around one word, love. It all centers around one word, love. When there are issues in the body, and when there are things where, you know, let's be honest, we are ordinary people, flawed people, where we sometimes offend one another, fall out, and all the rest of it, the reality is there is one word that trumps everything. Not just ministry gift, but it trumps everything, love. If we really love one another, then 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what will happen. And so let's read it together. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. As a people of God, as a body, we have an extremely high calling. In fact, you sometimes would think that God must have 
had a moment when he decided that he was going to use us in order to make him known. You see, once sin entered the world, humanity, despite the fact that there's lots of good in humanity, seems to have a predisposition, as I said last week, towards division, to whether it's by identifying ourselves as part of a particular group and there are other groups we don't like because um, they don't think the way we think or say the things that we say. But there seems to be this predisposition in humanity that divides. And you see it all the time. You see wars come out of it as you look through history in our current day. You just see it again and again and again. But this community, this one here, because we are a microcosm community of a much bigger community of God's people... This community, this body here, has the responsibility to make known the manifold wisdom of God, the many-faceted wisdom of God, the beauty and the majesty that comes with that. The unity that Jesus desired is rooted in the us of the Godhead because we know that the Godhead is not just God the Father. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as much as we can't get our head around that, and even when we try and explain it away with different um, illustrations to try and help people come to an understanding of that, the reality is we never will. But the reality is that Jesus' idea of unity is rooted in the Godhead. These three inseparable all together with the same purpose, all together serving the world. And God has chosen that as the illustration of what he wants. So unity is not forced. You can't force unity. Because then all you've got is conformity. So you can't force unity. The moment you try to force unity, you end up in a situation where, unfortunately, you will lose unity. If you want everybody to think the same, be the same, we're on a hiding to nothing. And so we're not looking for forced conformity, but an expression of the creative diversity that exists in God's creation. There is a diversity. We're all people of different sizes, different ages, different educational backgrounds. And in reality, many of us probably wouldn't know each other if it was not for Christ and Christ alone. That we had come in and we were being submitted and we found us submitting our lives to Christ, which joined us to one another in an, a, a, quite an amazing way. Because we are joined, we all have the same spirit, God's spirit. We all 
are reliant on the same Jesus, Jesus, God's son. And we're all thankful for the love of the Father. And so what we have and should be reflected through us in the unity of the body of believers is a variety of gifts and ministries. One writer puts it like this, the whole family of God is a beautiful montage of differing cultures and temperaments, colours and gifts offered to God in worship and ministry that he might be glorified. That he might be glorified. Unity is not... is. In, in some senses, a bit of a mystical thing. It's definitely spiritual, but it's more than that. It is revealed through us, this fleshly company of disciples. You do not have to be around people who call themselves Christian to know that we are a flawed community. You don't have to be around us very long to know that. But as we allow the love of God to permeate our lives, our individual lives, all of a sudden that community moves from just being a fleshly, motley group of people and becomes God's call to the world. He calling out to the world, come, taste and see, because God is good. God is good. The reality that we can see from right back in Genesis in creation is that from that moment onwards where God created everything and he saw that it was good, we can see that there is an attempt to steal and take away from us. Whilst Adam and Eve were in the garden, they surrendered to the will of God and they were obedient to the one command he gave them. They had a beautiful life. But right in the midst of all that beauty, there was one who was trying to take that away from them. And we know because we've read the book that he succeeded to a degree. In John 10.10, in the first part, it says the thief, and that's referring to Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That is what the enemy wants to do, to kill, to steal from us, and to destroy that which God its purpose is, which is to make known his manifold wisdom. That many faceted, that's, I just see it, you know. Forgive me, I can't remember the name of the band, but there was a, a record cover once where there was light going in as a single strand into a prison. What, what was it? Pink Floyd, yeah. Dark Side of the Moon, thank you. Hey, we can see where some people have been, can't we? <clears throat> Dark Side of the Moon. But I remember the album cover, there was a single light strand and it opens up into a rainbow of beauty out of the other side. 
And Satan does not want that to be seen because if people see the beauty of God, then they will be drawn to him. They will be drawn to him. And so that verse goes on and says that Jesus came basically, or that thief came to kill and destroy, but Jesus, I, it says, Jesus, that is, came that they might have life and have it abundantly that we might love life, live life, and thrive in life. That we get the goodness that God intended for us. And that is what Satan wants to steal, not just from us as a community, but he wants to steal it from the wider world. So how does that happen? Well, I'm going to be speaking on around this subject for several weeks so but I've chosen this morning to concentrate on something called offence not a fence offence alright I don't know about you but I at times can take offence Somebody might say something, do something, and I can be offended. And the way in which I will deal with that offence might determine, actually, my own um, well-being, my own um, sense of worth at the end of the day. And so, I have found in my own life, I'm sure I'm not alone, that it is easy to take offence It is easy to hear something and then ask the question, I wonder what they meant by that. And then as you play with that thought in your head, it goes down, it goes round a rabbit hole circle and it goes down and down and down and down until actually it changes from a thought into an attitude. And that attitude begins to take over your life and everything then that that individual does actually begins to irritate you and therefore it wouldn't matter whether they came and they spoke a perfect prophecy 100% you wouldn't accept it because you're already against it before that person even opens their mouth just that person and I got to tell you I'm a very and forgive me if you I'm a very fleshly pastor right I have had times in my life where When someone got up in church and prayed, I could feel my stomach turn over in a knot. And I had a picture once, and I'm not proud of this, but I had a picture once that my stomach was dripping acid. I was harming myself. But I had taken so much against this individual that it wouldn't have mattered what they did. If they had come and broken down in front of God and been weeping... And and crawling to the feet of Jesus, I'd have said it was all a show. Because I was so, so offended that I had become bitter and bars had come in around me and I was encased in my own issues. So I can take offence, and that's one thing. Because the Bible says that God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in weakness. 
And so when I am offended, God is able to give me grace to get over that eventually. But the offense that really causes difficulty is when we share our offense with others and then they take that offense on board on our behalf. I've seen this in my own family not so long ago. There's a member of my family who was praying continually to um, ask the Lord to forgive somebody. Now that person had never done anything to that member of my family, but they said one day, they said, I, I get no release, I get no relief from this. And I said, well, I'm not surprised really. And they said, why? I said, because it wasn't your offence. It was someone else's offence you've taken on board. You're asking God to forgive them and to help you forgive them, but he can't because they've done nothing to you. You've taken on board their coat. It's like you've shared their coat. In fact, in sometimes people share it and they hand you their coat and then we put it on. And it don't fit well. I remember as a parent, and parents, if you've been a parent here, you might relate to this uh, a bit more easily, but I had a period where I was stationed in Scotland and my oldest boy really suffered at the hands of being in Scotland, being English. They made his life, and this is nothing against the Scots, but these kids at school made his life a misery. I'd love to tell you that I gave him lots of godly advice when he came in crying. But one day when he came in crying, my godly advice seemed to disappear. And I said to him, get out there and don't come back until you've sorted it. And he knew exactly what I meant because I didn't mean go and make up with the guy. I meant go and bluter him, right? He won't, he won't do it again. I'm, again, I'm, not, I am actually not proud that that was the advice I gave my son. But I was, I was at the end of it. And then I'm walking, so he goes out in pure obedience. There was a bit of a scuffle, nothing really. I'm walking around the living room telling Liz exactly what I thought he should do because it's what I wanted to do. And then I look out the window and I couldn't believe it. He was playing with him. They were getting on like house on fire. And there's me, I'm still wound up to high dough about it. And it took me quite a while to come down. But that's what, when we share our offence with others without dealing with it biblically and correctly, that's what happens. Other people can put on our offence and we get over it. We sort it out and those people are left to carry it. How does offence come? Two ways, really. Through what is said and what is done. What is said and what is done. Offence on its own is not deadly. But it can grow in our heart. It can produce fruit like anger, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness. And we know that that destroys our life and it actually changes the type of person we are. And we get seriously, seriously in a mess. 
Sometimes those who are offended are oblivious to the fact that they're carrying an offense, either for themselves or on behalf of someone else. And there are two types of offended people, those who have been mistreated and those who think they've been mistreated. And therefore, we need to learn how to deal with offence in a way which doesn't allow those horrible things to get hold of our heart and change us and make us into people that we don't want to be. When it comes down to it, I don't know if any of you have heard of John Bevere, but he, he wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. And he talks about how offence is like the bait of Satan because it seems to be justified. It seems to be legitimate. And yet it isn't necessarily. We have to allow God to be the judge. It is dangerous when we are. It is like laying a trap in someone's way and all of a sudden they get caught. If we want to walk with God, we need to guard against both giving and taking offence. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I've, I've done a lot of fruit eating in my life. 63, and I've done a lot of fruit eating in my life. I love the Amplified's rendering. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and indulge in it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. And therefore, I've done that too. I've had to live with the consequences of stupid words. I've had to live with that. Many of us were told when we were growing up, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I don't know whoever thought that verse up really, but it's definitely wrong. It's definitely wrong. Physical pain is one thing. In fact, in many ways, being physically beaten up is easier to get over ultimately. Not pleasant while it happens or afterwards immediately, but it is easier to get over in many ways than it is from words. Because words have real power. This is a bit like the confessional for the pastor this morning. When I was young and growing up, I had an, a situation where I had what was called, I can only call myself, the red mist. And I lost total control of myself as a 16-year-old in the playground at secondary modern school. And I went for someone and I was, I was aware but unaware about what I was doing. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I remember friends 
pulling me off someone and I had been I had been significantly violent uh, to the point that he could not speak properly for about 24 hours as I had got him in a particular hold and pushed his Adam's apple right back into his throat it frightened me to death when I came out of this red mist and so I was fearful of what would happen if anything like that happened again so I changed course and this is how I know words are more powerful than physical violence I learned to use my mouth and my tongue in order to to be honest with you to hurt people I prided myself in making adults dissolve to tears as I would find their weakness and then I would just go for their weakness until they broke. It didn't matter what they were saying to me, I was totally uninterested, I just kept going and going and going until they broke. I had a sharp tongue that could cut people deeply. And when I got saved, the amazing thing was that God took, up, took away... In fact, initially, he didn't necessarily take it away. What he did was he delayed it. The issue with the tongue is you've got to be quick in your response if you really want to win. And I used to be really... Somebody would say something, I'd go... Boom, straight away and that would be it. it was game over but when I got saved it would go like this something would happen 25 minutes later I'd think about what I should have said while I was in that position a bit frustrating at first it was but I realised that God was doing something in me and that was immediately I got saved so I was no longer just retorting you know and doing that but I did see the effects of the power of the tongue. I want to speak life. I do want to speak life to people these days. Hope and encouragement. The Bible also says in Luke 6, it says the good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. And the evil person out of an evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and so all I want to do really is say to you I said to you last week I really believe that we are experiencing spiritual attack in many different ways but um, what I notice is that what happens is we when, when that is happening, we become easily offended. We, we start to speak in a way that actually doesn't um, try and live at peace with people, but tries to get its own way. 
In Galatians 5, it says this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-controls there, and there's probably one other, but I've missed it. Faithfulness, I think it is. Against these things, there is no law. I thought about that this week. Do you know, if we were a fellowship that exemplified those things, then it would be very difficult for the enemy to get sway. And therefore, I want to encourage us to pray that God draws out of us the fruits of the Spirit, the main one being love. In 1 Corinthians 13 that I read earlier, love is patient, it is kind, it is not rude, it does not boast, it is not arrogant, it bears no record of wrongs. No record of wrongs. I've been married 43 years, is that right? 44 this year, I got it right, don't worry. I'm safe when I go home this afternoon. Um, And the reality is, I have this love for my wife that even if we were to have words, which we don't often, some people think we are, we're just having a bit of a bicker to one another, that's all it is, it's not we're falling out really. But even if we did, do you know the trouble is it's hard to stay angry when you can't remember what it was you were angry about. (laughs) And I have retorted at times to Liz. She said something and I'm, you know, grumpy, growly. But the reality is if you were to ask me five minutes later, what was that all about? I wouldn't have a clue. I couldn't even remember what it was that upset me in the first place. (laughs) Love bears no record of wrongs, you know. It's when we start to keep accounts. That's when things get difficult. We have to remember too that the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12.10. He comes and whispers in our ear and tells us things about other people. And when we hear something, it comes along and goes, oh, they're criticising them. And if we're not careful, we take it on board. And then we move to the fruits of the flesh that Galatians 5 talks about. We've got ill will. We have resentment, prejudice. We're exasperating. Discord happens, strife. We cause conflicts and quarrels. We become jealous and there becomes a rivalry, fits of rage, anger, wrath, rage, fury, intense desire for something to happen. And I've experienced all those in my life as a Christian and as a pastor. I have experienced those things. I don't want them. They don't happen very often these days. Thank God. Sometimes we move in cause dissension. We bring about discord and division and then the worst one of all for me is we become factions I follow this one and I support this one and I don't support the other one 
when what God wants is together in love, manifesting his beauty and his grace and his love. And that's what God wants. God will always give us the grace to deal with our circumstances. He's promised to be with us when we pass through the waters. He's promised to be with us when the river seems to be going to over, overwhelm us. He's promised that he will be with us when we walk through the fire and we will not be burned. He has promised to be with us and he's there to assist us. So my simple ending is this, and it's my simple ending. When offence comes, take it to God and him alone. Don't share it for prayer. Take it to God. Ask for God's grace to help you overcome it. Walk in a way that will demonstrate love, even to the person from whom you have been offended. You know, I've heard many people say a verse that, well, just remember, if you do good to people who have done wrong to you. You heap coal, burning coals on their head. I've got to tell you, if that's a verse that comes easily to mind to you, I think you've picked it up slightly wrong, right? We don't forgive in order that we pour burning coals on people's heads, all right? Because I don't necessarily think that's forgiveness. That's getting even, (laughs) But we want to take things to God, ask him for the grace not to allow it to get into our system. We need to take it to God, ask him where we feel we have been damaged to heal us. I want to say there are some times where people mistreat other people. That is genuine. And I'm not belittling that issue at all. But then be biblical. Go to the individual, speak to them, own it. Don't go you, say, do you remember the other day when this happened? I. The moment you own it, you're not being an accuser. You are saying, this is how I felt. If you feel you don't get a hearing and you still go away, carrying your burden then do the biblical thing and take someone with you don't go and share it for prayer all over the place take someone with you and go and sit with them and talk with them choose that person wisely however alright choose that person wisely You know, there are elders here in this church that you could ask to accompany you if you needed it. I could. If you're a lady, our wives could go with you. That's not saying they're the only people with wisdom here, all right? 
Um, that's not the case. But I'm saying there are people. You have put elders into position. And that means you should be able to trust them to help you in times of need. Bless you guys. Uh, I just really want to say, let's be vigilant. All right? Let's point people to the positive. Even when, because we will all still do that. We will all still at times miss it and say something to someone else. Well, when someone says it to you, say, can I pray about that with you? Pray with them at that moment. Right? Ask them, have you been? And try to sort it out. Ask them if they want you to go with them. Or point them and say, listen, go and speak to one of the pastors or the elders, you know. Go and speak to them. And they will assist you. Because what we don't want, we don't want that, all those little foxes to spoil what God wants to do. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are patient. You are loving. You are kind and considerate. I know that you discipline us, but you discipline us as a father out of love. You are interested continually in restoration, not destruction. And so, Father, I pray, will you help us learn to navigate the difficult circumstances that sometimes we have in our lives so that we come out the other side better for the experience rather than worse. Help us learn. Holy Spirit, take something from what has been said this morning and apply it to us. And Lord God, where we need to let go of some things, let us let go. Where we need to sort some things out, help us to do that. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.